Well, hello, everybody. Welcome back to Engage in Truth. This is John Bornstein. I'm a senior pastor of Calvary Fellowship Fountain Valley Church right here in Colorado Springs, and I'm thrilled that you're tuning in again today. We are continuing in our study of the radical teachings of Jesus Christ, and we have been really going through these, at least the top 24, and we've made our way through four of those. And to do that has taken several months, so if you have missed any of the prior broadcasts, you can go to calvaryfountain.com, and there you can listen to these radio programs, podcasts, see the videos, all there at your fingertips, share them with your friends and family alike. We have covered the subjects that are often very difficult for us to process because they're radical teachings of Jesus, because they are constantly in contrast to the work of the flesh. That's what we'd expect Jesus to give us. Everything that causes us to squirm, causes us to be convicted, because our natural default is to revert to the sin nature, how we might assess a situation, behave in a situation, or even speak within a situation. And the Lord challenges all of those things. Don't think like that. Don't talk like that. Don't be like that. Here's how you to be ought to be, rather, how you ought to live, rather. These are the things that we'd expect Jesus to do, and many of these teachings are found at the, well, that we call it the Sermon on the Mount, but this were, these were consistent teachings of the Lord, and, and so we're using the Sermon on the Mount as our guide. We've been through at least these few. Let me give those to you again. The first was turning the other cheek, as we read in Matthew chapter 5, 38 to 42, and then secondly, we read about loving our enemies also found in Matthew 5, 43 to 47. Then, then we studied about money, and it was really bigger than money. It was uh, with whom we're in allegiance to, God or love of this world, that we can't serve two masters. And we saw that from Matthew chapter 6, verse 24. So here we've been covering a great deal about the sovereignty of God that has led to the subject matter of not worrying that's right, we give in to anxiety an awful lot. We are concerned about so many things in our lives. We love the illusion of control, and when we don't have it, it gives us a great deal of struggle. We will fret, lose sleep, it affects our relationships, we find ourselves paralyzed, crippled, unable to move forward with the instruction of our Lord. This whole section has come to us from Matthew 6. 25 all the way to verse 33. And so to help me in this study with you here today, and I hope this has been a blessing to you, Dr. Steve Ford is here in the studio with me. Dr. Ford, welcome back to Engage in Truth. Thank you, John. This is a great study. As you said, these are sort of the double take moments that you have with Jesus <laughs> in scripture. Like, did Jesus really just say that? And uh, if we really take these these sayings of Jesus to heart, then we really see his emphasis on taking up our cross daily and then what that means in our walk with him to be able to accomplish this thing. Like you said, this was not a suggestion that we're not supposed mm -hmm. to worry. It was a command from Jesus that we're not supposed to worry and that we're supposed to yeah. abide in him and he's supposed to abide in us. So I think a lot of the things you have been covering show us the reality of, of what we experience, what Christ's expectations are for us. And then I think today it'll be great to cover some of those things. What what do we do about this? How do we cope? How do we live that life that Jesus has called us to? Amen. And you're right. It isn't a suggestion. It is a command because really as we grow in our faith, the sanctification process, that it only happens by way of the Holy Spirit in and through right. us. As after all, we are temples of the Holy Spirit and we'd expect him to transform us from the inside out, washing and renewing our minds so that we think differently. We operate differently and, and ideally we are 
are not as worried about the things we used to be worried about. Now, this is an ever growing, changing process. We can be walking with the Lord for 30, 40 years and still find that the old sin nature can rue its ugly head, that, that somehow it dominates our train of thought for a moment. It seems ever brief in the passing of life, and yet we find ourselves feeling discouraged that we should be more mature in our faith than than we're exhibiting and demonstrating in those moments. But that just shows the constant battle against the flesh. And the Apostle Paul spoke to this a great deal in Romans chapter 6 to 7 in giving us a very real assessment that until we graduate from this vessel, there will be a battle, a daily one. And we need not grow dismayed in that, but we constantly check the will and way of the flesh with the teachings of our Lord, and we will find that we keep being pulled back to the spiritual plumb line, his established rule for how we are to operate in this world. And when we do that, it will affect everything positively. If we learn to do as the Lord has instructed us to do, to pray as we ought, it will affect everything, our relationships, how we work, how we operate in this world. So there are ramifications, cascading effects that will ripple through time when we're obedient to these things. And Dr. Ford, last week, we highlighted at least three aspects to worrying that we were to take away from this. Uh, Number one is that worry is a distortion of values and a reversal of priorities, we see that in Matthew 6, 25, is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? We get so worried about these things that really are within the realm of materialism. We often think of materialism as this desire for the nicer, finer things in life that consume us. We're going to work harder to attain those things. And yet here the Lord puts the the what we might deem as the necessities, the essentials, before us that we worry about these things even, and we ought not to. Rather, he will provide. You are his servant. If you call upon the name of the Lord Jesus, he will, as your Abba Father, provide. He will make a way through this. And and Dr. Ford, let me just at least deviate for a moment and address the reality that we read in Job chapter 14, verse 5. He tells mankind this. This is Job as he's dialoguing with the Lord, but we know that all of the words of the Scripture belong to the Lord. He gave these words, even through those who were designated as the pen, to write his word. And it says in Job 14, verse 5, since his days are determined, this is mankind, our days are determined, the number of his months is with you, capital Y-O-U, this is with the Lord. You have appointed his limits so that he cannot pass. The Lord has already seen the end from the beginning, Isaiah 46.10. He's already appointed every one of our days, every breath we will take. In his sovereignty, he has seen it all. And yet, we will try to hold on to this life with every fiber in our being as though we are the master of our adventures, the, the captain of our ship that somehow we're the ones controlling the outcome of things when God is the one who's given us the very next breath that we breathe. So worry is this preoccupation with matters that are the lowest of priorities in the spectrum that God wants us to consider. And then number two, worry is a failure to see things as they really are. Verse 26 of Matthew 6, Look at the birds of the air, for they neither sow nor reap, nor gather into barns, yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not of more value than they? I mean, again, just taking it to the 
to the basics here, that the Lord sees every sparrow as they fall to the ground. He knows the very number of the hairs upon our head, and yet we know these things, and the very next moment we might be given back in to a sense of fear and anxiety about something. Worry is a waste of energy. Number three, he says in verse 27, which of you by worrying can add one cubit to his stature? Are you going to extend your life or your very size or your height or your longevity in this flesh? No, the answer is no. Worry, in fact, will take away from those things. You will exhaust your flesh, cause ramifications physically, emotionally, mentally. And again, we know these things have to be reminded of it because inevitably tomorrow we'll give right back into it. As soon as we think we've mastered this, (laughs) the flesh screams, we give right back into it. And this is why we have to constantly be in prayer of the word, people living the word of the word, because this is the only thing that will keep us grounded when we go through the stresses of life. Now, number four, this is where we pick up here today. Worry is an act of unbelief. That's a tough one because we think we don't really think much of our worrying. We think it's actually, we're the victim here. We are worrying because someone has caused us to worry. We've received perhaps a bill we didn't expect. Uh, Then we're frustrated that that person sent us a bill. Maybe it's that medical center that uh, we just didn't plan on, the the rather large bill. The insurance didn't cover as much as we've hoped. Uh, Maybe the, the mechanics bill came in and we're thinking, how in the world could it be so much? My car's not even worth that much. Uh, we get worried about uh, the new roof that we've got to put on. And with hail around Colorado, that has been a constant conversation over the past few years. And so we get stressed out rather easily by these things as if God has no control over the matter. He tells us in verses 28 to 30 of Matthew, Matthew chapter 6, So why do you worry about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. And yet I say to you that even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. Now, if God so clothes the grass of the field, which today is, and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, will he not much more clothe you, O you of little faith? And Dr. Ford, we've talked about that, that this is not really an issue of trying to attain nicer clothing. This is just really the basics of, of, of we worry about everything. If I don't eat today, if I don't drink today, if I'm not clothed today, then somehow everything is fall, falling apart, that somehow God is not on his throne, he, he's too busy for me, or he's angry at me, and he's allowing me to go through this because he's wanting to punish me, and he's an angry God that I have to appease somehow and win his favor, and that's not what we see scripturally. Yeah. That That is, again, a sin nature creating a filter of an image of God that is a wrong and distorted perspective of his holiness. Yeah. All I can think of is our favor was won by Jesus Christ. Amen. (laughs) That's right. We we, we know that that has already taken place, but as I'm hearing what you're saying, I'm thinking where, if, if, if this is the way we are, if this is the way that we're living our lives, where is our witness? What is, how are we salt and light? What is drawing other people uh, to Jesus Christ through us, if we're worrying just as much as the world, if we have a low view of God's sovereignty, uh, then how are we different in the world? Why would people be drawn to him through us if there's no difference between us and unbelievers? That's right. And, and that's really the issue here is it, it, it infringes in our testimony, our ability to demonstrate a transformed mind 
a transformed living. And ultimately, that's what the scriptures do. The more we bask in its goodness, we are transformed by these instructions. So they're not just to rattle around between our ears, but to transform our walk. We become doers of what we have heard. That's that's where that that gap between our ears all the way down to the uh, the recesses of our heart, if you can give it such a journey, uh, that somehow it's changed the way we behave. Our character is changed. It is stirred up in the image of Christ, completely transformed. That's because we're a new creation in Christ, now an ambassador for Christ. Uh, quite frankly, worry is a serious sin because it doubts the goodness and the integrity of God. And then that's what you just spoke on, Dr. Ford, is that by our worrying, we are taking away from what we say we believe, that that God who holds the universe in his hand is somehow unavailable or unwilling, perhaps even incapable of changing the present circumstances that we're in. It was okay to part the Red Sea at that moment. It was okay for the sun to go backwards or stand still in those certain moments But God is somehow unable to do that now or unwilling because he's just, well, he doesn't listen to my prayers and pleas. And and these are wrong perspectives. Again, that's why we want to spend some time on this because worry is kind of a backhanded blasphemy. And it's totally unbecoming of a child of God, quite frankly. I mean, it, it forgets that God is our heavenly father. And when he does good things through us, he brings himself glory. Any good thing that we do is for his own glory. Any good that comes out of a bad situation is for his own glory. Anything good that happens across the face of the earth is to his glory, even through unbelievers. And what greater joy if the believer who is used by God and a conduit of his good workings to bring him glory. That's why we're a city on a hill that cannot be hidden. That's why we're to let the light shine that it glorifies the Father. That's ultimately the role in this. So we we have to understand that this illusion of control has to be put aside, that we somehow think that if we're going to build up for the end of our lifespan, have the best re- retirement that we could ever have, we put enough money aside, we've planned and did everything like we thought we were supposed to do for a day that may never come. We just uh, had the unfortunate circumstance, and yet a glorious circumstance simultaneously with a funeral this past week at our church. Young man, 37 years old, leaving behind a widow of 33 years of age. Very heart-wrenching for the family to say goodbye when they felt that his time was too soon. And yet the reality in this is we know that we don't grieve as those who have no hope because he's with the Lord. Praise be to God for that. He was prepared to meet the king. But for the rest of us, we look at that and think, well, that was not the way it was supposed to be. And, and that is true as well. With sin in the world, this is not the way it will be. And certainly it wasn't the way it was designed, although the Lord, knowing the end from the beginning, he obviously put the tree of knowledge of good and evil in the garden for a reason, and we've talked about that. But knowing that sin would enter into the world, knowing there would be ramifications of sin, what we do is we put our eyes on the author and perfecter of our faith, knowing that he holds every single breath in his hand, if you will, if you can grasp a breath, he is the giver of life. And he also has appointed every single day. And I think that when we start to live like the underground church, when we start to have almost a reckless abandonment toward our own sustaining, our own self-preservation, where we live wholly for his glory, we will open up that tight grip that we have on everything that gives us value or this image or illusion of control in this world. We let that go. 
that God reigns supreme in our lives, that it's his will if I breathe, it's his will if I eat, and ultimately any good that comes out of me is to his glory. And I love how the underground church thinks of these matters. I not long ago had reported on some of the uh, interviews with pastors in the underground church, and one such pastor in Iran who's been gathering people to homes and doing home churches, even in caves. Listen to what he says on this matter. He says, we know that if they get us, the first thing they will do to us, and this is is one of the women in, in the small group that he's been preaching to, this is a woman speaking here. She says, as a woman, the first thing that they will do is rape us, they will beat us, and ultimately they will kill us. This is the decision we have made that we want to offer our bodies as sacrifices because I have this thought when I wake up that when I leave, that door might not be available to me when I come back. It is wholly going out with the understanding that I'm going in to serve the Lord and when I turn around to go home, the circumstances might be totally different, but I won't be swayed. I belong to the Lord to give him glory. Here's what one of those pastors then says. Disciples forsake the world and cling to Jesus till he comes. Converts don't. Disciples aren't engaged in a culture war. Converts are. Disciples cherish, obey, and share the word of God. Converts don't. Disciples choose Jesus over anything and everything else. Converts don't. Converts run when the fire comes. Disciples don't. So what we're trying to make converts, he's trying to make disciples of Jesus Christ. That's the difference. Right. And what's the Great Commission? That's right. You have to make disciples, not to make converts. Um, So I think recently, I can't speak for the entire history, but it just seems like the current, at least Western church, don't you think has fallen short with that? We're maybe better at converts than we are with disciples. Sure. I think absolutely. You think that we, we kind of go through this fast food lineup of raise my hand, run down front, jump in the baptismal as quickly as I can, but then we struggle with truly yeah, making disciples right, right. of Jesus Christ, willing to take up the cross and follow him. This is where we will find these fleshly matters fleeting in the discipleship process that could take years, yeah. quite frankly. Yeah, I think in uh, the the movie Sheep Among Wolves, especially the second one, it talks about mm-hmm. the church in Iran and that it's primarily um, driven by women. Wow. And uh, and we see that actually in the the early church historically uh, was primarily what I've been reading recently primarily women, and uh, and was even more phenomenal because it was the female babies that were left out to exposure, um, like mm. some other populations uh, where they kill their female babies they had far more men than they had women and yet the church was actually driven by women, um, but yeah the, I just wanted to reach out to the ladies out there uh, the women, women mm. have, a, have a fantastic history in the Christian church, doing amazing things now in the Christian church, and especially in the underground church, God is working through them to glorify him. Amen. Amen. And number five in our study, and time is going to get away from us, Dr. Ford, you know how this goes. We could probably spend weeks right. more on right. this subject. So your point is is powerful and valid. We've talked a lot about the underground church and what we can learn as Western church that it's not about country club living. This is about taking up the cross to follow him. And thus, number five is preoccupation with food and clothing is characteristic of a fallen world. He wants us to see it for what it is. When we think like Babylon, we act like Babylon, and then wonder why the Christian church 
doesn't look much different from the world at large. Right. We are to be set apart, yeah. salt and light. Right. And that's in contrast to darkness that has a, a, a culture with no saltiness, right? This is not just a closeness to it. This is not like the gray color in the middle. We are totally contrasted against the ways and thinking of the world. And you go back to Acts chapter 4, and you see a church very different, perhaps, than even the churches have become today. And this is not a critique against the church. It's just that we fall back into the easy, rather than realizing that he's called us to something that's rather difficult. This is a life that has changed, a lifestyle that reflects the inward transformation. We should be so set apart from this world. There is no possibility of... uh, you know, a, a false identity here. They know you are wholly a Christian, totally set apart. And now in, in Matthew chapter 6, 31 to 32, he says, therefore, do not worry saying, what shall we eat or what shall we drink or what shall we wear? For after all these things, the Gentiles seek for your heavenly father knows that you need all these things. As if somehow we have to convince God, here I am, Lord, remember me down here. (laughs) He is totally aware of your presence. Every noise that you make, every movement that you take is felt within the universe. There's a cascading effect of all of those actions that God has already taken account for and has already seen before time began. Let's not uh, be disrespectful to the God who sees all and knows all. Yeah, and as you've said, our, our portion, our contribution is to seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. So it is an if-then statement. So we need to make sure that we're fulfilling our part as well, our part of Christ's expectations for us. That's right. And and exactly what a perfect segue, Matthew 6, 33 to 34, this is the prescription. This is what it all comes down to. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things shall be added to you. Therefore, do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will worry about its own things. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. Amen. I love that. And so let's look at it. Number one, recognize that worry is a sin. That's hard for us to process. Uh, the text makes it clear that worry is a, a human failure, a sin issue. This is not something the Lord is wanting us to just simply downplay, overlook in any way, but rather to address it for what it is. And next, we have to review our theology. So number two, review our theology. We have to acknowledge God as a loving father who knows our every need and who brings about every situation to strengthen our faith. That's good theology. And number three, we have to rearrange our priorities because worry is a form of materialism and materialism involves, well, it's a reversal of priorities involving heavenly and earthly things. He says in verse 33, but seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things shall be added to you. We must see our spiritual lives as the primary importance, the focus of our day. And number four, we have to redirect our energies. So we have to understand that we are active. This is what we're to do. We're to be active in carrying out God's will. So when it comes to the matter of worry, we must deliberately and purposefully determine that we're not going to waste the the energy that he has given to us. We're a steward of everything that he has given to us so that if he has given us the ability to do his work today with our hands, our mouths, our bodies, let us use it faithfully to his glory. And isn't that really a part of what Paul says when he says to take every thought captive? That's right. Amen. 
And number five, we have to refuse to borrow on tomorrow's troubles. The Bible teaches us that we must live one day at a time to the glory of the Lord. Christians who live godly lives will have trials and testing. That's a normal part of the Christian experience. So what we have to take away from this, Dr. Ford, is to recognize that worry is perhaps a crutch or a crippling effect in our life. It is, it's uh, damaging our testimony. It's a sinful act, and it needs to be put where it belongs. And, and that's to be expunged from the Christian life. It is going to cause us to go through the refiner's fire in this, where he stretches and builds our faith. And may we not be discouraged in that. What may feel like God is distant actually is the reverse, that when we're going through those valleys, the Lord is ever-present because he is going to lead us to those peaceful places. He is the good shepherd, will take us where we need to be. But so often when we get the wayward sheep that sometimes need to be thrown over the shoulders of the shepherd, <laughs> maybe even with a broken leg, uh, you know, God is on this. He knows exactly what he's doing. So I hope that, you know, Dr. Ford, the time gets away from us. Here we are. We have now completed five weeks in this study. I hope this has been a blessing to all of our listeners. We want to thank you for listening to Engage in Truth every week. And again, if you're looking for a church in your area, Come check us out at Calvary Fellowship Fountain Valley Church. Services are 8 a.m. and 10 a.m. on Sundays, and we'd love to see you there. God bless you, my friends. Take care.